everyone and welcome to Screams After Midnight. I am Peter and joining me as always is Tim. I'm your number one fan. <laughs> <laughs> of course you are. You're only human, Tim. You're only human. <laughs> uh, this is a horror movie podcast. We get together every week. We talk about horror movies. We watch a film. We talk about it. It's that simple. And this episode is going to be about Misery, the Stephen King adaptation directed by Rob Reiner. This was actually the winner of one of our Patreon votes. Not the regular one. Uh, this is the premium Patreon vote where two films for Streams After Midnight go up against two films from the Atomic Cinema Experiment, the sci-fi movie podcast that I do with Tara. And this is actually the first time that the Streams, a Streams movie won the vote. Oh. Uh, you know, the last two months, because we'll, this is a relatively new thing, uh, the last two months, uh, Ace won the, uh, the, the, the vote, you know, the movie, one of the movies won that from that options. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas this one, Misery won, so we are here to do this film as a result uh cool. the theme the theme for the vote was all stephen king adaptation so there was two sci-fi ones for that podcast and two horror ones for for this and oh misery. Was the sci-fi ones uh <laughs> i can't remember like cell uh not that <laughs> tommy knockers dream catcher i think dream catcher uh, was one of them that sounds maximum right maximum overdrive definitely dream catchers i think it was that okay. maybe dead zone oh okay mm. i know it was sci-fi ones I wouldn't really uh, call that sci-fi, but okay. Well, luckily it didn't win then, okay? We're, <laughs> we're here with Misery, uh, starring James Caan uh, as a horror mm-hmm. author, Kathy Bates. Con, okay. <laughs> what did I say? Can. <laughs> the can. Yeah, Khan. James Khan. Khan. Oh, I, I yeah. It sounds the same in my accent. Uh, what do you want from me? I can't differentiate. <laughs> Con, can, con, can, can, there you go. Can, well, I'm saying like an O, con. It sounds like you're saying can, like a soda can, when it should be like con, like, you know, the wrath of con. The wrath of can, yeah, wrath of can. I can't, I can't do it. My voice can't make the different, different, slightly different version of the word. Okay. It's okay. It's, it's fine. Can. <laughs> I'm just I'm just yeah. drawing out the A. But it's it's, it's not so much an A sound though. It's more like a, it's not like A. It's like ah. So when you do like can like soda can, it's like can and and and. When it's like uh got the two A's, it's like ah 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 ah. Can. Con. <laughs> just like think think it's like an O. <laughs> a con. Yeah, there you but go. That's what I was saying, con, though, not can. Yeah. <laughs> all right, okay, all right. We've we'll, we'll spent enough time. We've we'll spent enough time by the fact that I can't pronounce <laughs> James Khan's name correctly. <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> so the premise of Misery, we'll start spoiler-free, by the way. Uh, we'll give you a warning in the middle before we get to spoilers. Uh, but the, the movie, and the book, of course, is about a horror author. Well, actually, no, sorry. Let me correct that. The, the author in the story is not a horror author. I'm, I'm just, I'm confusing the fact that Stephen King, of course, who wrote it, is a horror author. Uh, the author in the movie is a successful author who's been writing this character called Misery. Misery Ch- Chastain, I think, was the, was the full name of the character. But mm-hmm. he's a successful author. He's been writing these books about this character. And he's trying to move on to other things. And he, he finishes his novel. He always goes to this lodge. He finishes novels. He finishes. He's on his way back to 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 you know deliver it to his publisher and his agent and all the rest of it. And he's caught in a blizzard. His car is you know flipped over, and 
Annie Wilkes, played by Kathy Bates, his number one fan, uh, rescues him, and he finds himself captive in her house with no way to call for help, no way to, to reach to the outside world. He, he can't walk. He's injured, too injured from the crash, and he's basically at her mercy. And she mm-hmm. is, you know, obviously very, uh, very complimentary to begin with, but turns mm-hmm. out to maybe be a bit of a psycho fan who is very entitled and is also maybe psych- psychotic. So that's kind of where yep. the story goes. <laughs> uh, so this is a misery. Uh, and it was interesting about watching this now, because I saw I've seen this once before. I saw this mm-hmm. back in on DVD back in the mid 2000s and i think what's really funny about having watched it then and now watching it for the first time since now is that back when i watched this the last time twitter didn't exist so <laughs> social media didn't exist and yeah. i feel like this movie and this story is far more relevant oddly <laughs> in a post twitter oh, totally. and social media world than it was before those things uh clearly it was still a story worth telling at the time but yeah there's a lot more, like what this movie kind of touches on feels like it's more of a thing now than it was at the time so uh it's yeah uh, i mean it, it, yeah it's it's all about like you know toxic fandom which uh you know it, it's definitely something that has been around for a long time and well i mean i think what's funny though is um i i mean someone could correct me if i'm wrong but uh i think like um one of the things Stephen King said is like, is it's not so much about like fandom as it is supposed to be about like him dealing with his like addiction. Um, cause you know, he was, he was like a, a you know, person who you know did a lot of like, you know, booze and drugs uh, and stuff for a long time. And, um, you know, he, I don't know if this was maybe around the time where he was trying to get like a sober maybe, but I think, you know, for like a long time, it kind of felt like those things had a, a hold on him. Um, so that's kind of kind of funny because uh, I, I think that's there's definitely a, a way you can look at it like that, but I think there's a much more like obvious way that we can look at it as being about uh, toxic fandom and uh, yeah, that's something that's been around like you know for you know probably since uh, as long as like you know uh, popular media was a thing, but I think nowadays, like you said, with social media, it's so much more prevalent and you know, people have so much like closer access to their creators and, and people feel so much uh, emboldened and entitled to, you know, give like their correct opinions of how they feel I, these characters should be treated. And <laughs> I, I am deadly serious. If you just, if you watch this movie and just replace, uh, you know, the, the, the writer here, uh, Sheldon, Paul Sheldon, Paul yeah. Sheldon, if you replace him with Ryan Johnson and think that it's about oh, sure. Star Wars, the last Jedi, <laughs> the movie completely makes sense. it it completely functions uh as you would expect it to it it, yeah so that that's that's the gist of the movie and we'll we'll obviously get into it uh so uh yeah tom what do you think of uh misery uh well i mean obviously i'm a you know big stephen king fan uh so uh would you would you say you're his number one fan oh without a doubt yeah Yeah. (laughs) uh but no i mean i absolutely love this i think uh you know, I, I love King, but I do think, you know, sometimes it is uh, a little hard to uh, adapt his uh, stuff. But I think there are a couple of people that do it really well. And I think uh, Rob Reiner's one of them, because uh, I, I think this and um, Stand By Me are like two of the best uh, like ad- King adaptations out there. Um, obviously, uh, Flanagan and uh, Darabont would be the other ones that I think just really uh, are able to kind of hone in and, and you know, get the essence of what King's trying to do. And, uh, but I think this is a phenomenal 
uh movie um it's you know it, it's almost kind of like a you know very uh like i, I don't want to say bottle movie because you know they, they do go to like different places and stuff but it is very confined to this you know like one space and you know it's a very small cast but these two uh you know con and uh, bates do such a good job and like i really love their relationship like yeah like i just love how uh exasperated you know like paul sheldon is all the time and like uh like i i like how he's he's obviously always like trying to find ways out of it but like there's so many times where he's just kind of like accepting his fate and just like you know like kind of like making quips and stuff to her uh, which is so funny and uh, and I think this was like Bates really like big first like big role. And uh, I think she just nails it. Like she does such a good job of like being so unhinged and going from like, you know, a sweet, like caring, like, oh, my God, I love you. I'm your biggest fan to like as soon as he does something that she doesn't like, she is like, you know, going off the rails. And like, you know, it, it has that end of fandom where it's like, you know uh as loving as someone can be they can also be like the you know scariest most hateful <laughs> thing to you as well and uh man there's just like some really really good like tension uh throughout this movie like every little thing you know um paul sheldon's trying to do to escape because like you know becomes such a big obstacle like you know him bending down to pick up a a hairpin or you know like uh counting pills and, and like all this stuff like it, it's such small stuff but like in his state and like being trapped it, it's just uh it makes everything feel like so tense and you're just like holding your breath and like oh like please like, i don't want you to be found out or whatever and uh and then there's like a couple of, like yeah well i'd say there's a uh, one like scene in here that i, I just think is like an all-timer like classic horror scene that you know anyone who's seen the movie knows uh you know what it is but man it's like so good and still gets me every time so yeah i think it's a phenomenal movie oh you're done oh yeah <laughs> just just like 10 monologuing there for about five minutes <laughs> no i uh i i like the movie the movie is is it's very confident in what it's doing it's very solid uh, you're essentially anchored by two cast members. There's, there's, there's a kind of a third, I suppose, fourth yeah. as well, technically, and the sheriff and his wife who are mm-hmm. kind of looking into things. And that that's kind of the only times we really cut away to yeah. anything in the outside world. Otherwise, because one of the things that it does is that we never actually get to see the rest of the house until mm-hmm. Paul does. We never see yeah. outside of that room until Paul actually gets to see it himself. And it's just that's a simple little technique, a little, you know, thematic technique where you just... You, you, everything's from his perspective, but that doesn't necessarily mean you literally shoot at POV. It just means that if he doesn't get to see something or he doesn't get to hear something or is aware of something, then we don't get to be aware of it either. Uh, mm-hmm. And that kind of, you know, functions to a point. Obviously, the movie doesn't... If, if the movie, like, obviously was strictly adhering to that, then we wouldn't mm-hmm. cut away to the sheriff. But that, that's kind of our dangling hope. That's like, oh, he's the one that we're hoping is going to find him or it's going to realize that yeah. something's up or, or whatever. Um... Performances are very good. I I think uh, it almost relies almost entirely on them because it's so rooted in just these two actors and how they're playing off of each other. Uh, obviously, the music's there and the cinematography's there and and those other things uh, are there. Um, if if I'm going to be the 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 negative voice here to <laughs> critique things a little bit, uh, I I will say I do think, and this is just not me making a jab because it's Stephen King and it's easy to correct this joke. I do mm-hmm. think the ending's a little lackluster. 
mm. and that's something we can we can get into. Uh, there's a sense mm. of catharsis that I think is a little bit missing from mm-hmm. from some of the end stuff, but we'll we'll, we'll get into that when we, we go into the uh, the spoilers. Sure. Um, but for the most part, though, I, I think one of the things you touched upon that I do agree with is probably the biggest strength of the movie. Uh, aside from maybe the actual sort of commentary of fandom and the commentary of like you know the actual he's a writer she's a fan and all the actual plot stuff that comes out of that is just the, the basic sort of like escape attempts and the survival elements where it's all very simple things but because he cannot walk because his legs are completely erect from the crash and he's in a wheelchair even at the best of times he's in a wheelchair before that he can't even move like sit up without feeling pain He's so helpless in a way that feels very simplistic and that, you know, normally when you have, you have characters in, like, at, you know, situations where they're, they've been held captive or they're in a prison or something, like, there's all these really extreme measures to keep them feeling, like, confined because otherwise, like, this is just a regular house and, and a, it's a bedroom in a house and there's mm-hmm. very simple things and, you know, his mission is just to get to a phone because if he can get to a phone, he can call for help. It's really simple things. So when you present all these really simple obstacles as like almost impossible tasks because of his situation, because of how he is, and it's actually really on a personal level, there's kind of a weird uh, relatability to that. Well, relatability is not the right word, but my, my father had MS, so he was in a wheelchair. So there's a lot of uh, specific little things that kind of feel very true to life to me. Uh, mm. Even such as some, something as simple as the uh, the like the the bottle he pisses in <laughs> is oh, yeah. something I you know I, I saw that growing up I saw mm. that 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 little bottle thing hanging around the house. Yeah. Um. So seeing that just the the, the obstacles of like not being able to fit through a, one of the door frames at one point or all all these things. Um. There's just there's an odd kind of like difference to it. Um. And this this idea, and obviously there's the, the the thematic narrative idea that he feels trapped because he was confined to this character, this successful property that he made. You know, he he wrote this character called Misery, and he and obviously the title of the movie's got a double meaning because obviously before you even watch the movie or read the book, or, or you know, on the other hand, you don't know that there's a character in the book that you know, that's the, the fictional character that this this writer's been writing about. You you see yeah. the word misery and you think, oh, it's because he's going to be miserable. It's because it's you know it's going to be this this traumatic experience where misery is the theme. Uh, yeah. So yeah. when you actually you know see the movie and you you see that it's about this character that he feels trapped by. You know, there's a point later on when they, they, this toast to misery and it's like, yeah, <laughs> we're we're in our own misery. We're we're in our own head. We're trapped by our own creations. Yeah. So even though like even though it's really obvious to look at the film and say, oh, it's about, you know, fandom and all these things, in, in a lot of ways, it, it is about that. But the actual metaphor of the film is it's more about how he feels trapped by this character that he's now expected to always write and expected to stick to. Uh, yeah. And we see it all the time with, like, writers and directors where, you know, they're expected to stick to a franchise or a character mm-hmm. that they are associated with. And, like, no, they want to go and do new things. They want to try different genres. They want to try different types of storytelling. But yeah. no, we expect you know X director to stick to this movie franchise forever because that's what we expect of them, um, yeah. and you know so Paul wants to you know break out and do other things, but he he is literally confined and imprisoned by someone who is a fan of this character, so he feels like he's imprisoned by that character. So again, it's that it's that that's that it's that storytelling thing where you take you know him feeling trapped by his own creation and you make it literal 
He's literally sure. Kathy Bates isn't called misery. She has a pig called misery, but yeah. <laughs> she, she, she's not literally misery. But she is literally trapping him because hey, you're not doing the character I want, and so on. So I mean, that's not why she actually kidnaps him in the first place, but it kind of becomes that in, in a lot of ways. So, yeah. uh, what what's kind of funny about that too is uh, originally this was supposed to be um, a uh, a Bachman book, which uh, you know Stephen King had a, a pseudonym that he wrote under for a while, uh, Richard Bachman. That's like the he did stuff like uh, the Running Man, uh, you know, under that. Ah, yeah, and then, yeah. Uh, and so this was actually supposed to be a uh, a Bachman book, but he ended up getting uh yeah found out, uh, and so it ended up coming out under his name. But um, yeah, it it, it it's kind of interesting in that context, like a movie about yeah someone trying to escape their kind of like fame, what they're known for, and yeah, originally yeah it was supposed to be, you know, uh under not you know the the writer's less famous <laughs> moniker hmm yeah that must be a hard sell to publishers because they must be thinking to themselves but we'd sell so much more copies if your name was on the book like you, you have oh, a yeah. reputation <laughs> i'm sure like there's like I, I think the bachman books like still did like okay like yeah they definitely weren't selling as good as king but i'm sure like once uh you know that all got like revealed there's probably like a big uptick in uh sales of those <laughs> Yeah, just like how everyone started looking for Alan Smithy movies once people knew it was a, a fake name. <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> Everyone's like, "Oh, we have to see this. All these Alan Smithy movies. Who, who's the who's the real director behind these 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 gems?" Uh, yeah. So no, uh, I mean, yeah, uh, that's that's basically my uh, my feelings on it. I I think uh, it's. It, I, I do love a good bottle story and like you say it does cut away but the the main premise and the main character are kind of confined and that's kind of the point is that he feels confined because so many bottle stories aren't necessarily about being confined to the place that's just where the story takes place this is actually about him wanting to get away him wanting to break free and get anywhere else but this this, this becomes his world this is this is where he is now uh like and it, this is where he's living it's where it's where he's breathing it's where he's doing everything now for his foreseeable future yeah. I think you bring up a good point where you say like, yeah, you don't see the, the rest of the house until he sees it. So like you are, the audience is kind of feeling like you're trapped in there with him, which I mm -hmm. think, yeah, it's kind of like part of the reason why you, you know, want to root for him so much, uh, is because like, Hey, like, you know, we want to get out of here too. Like, yeah. uh, so yeah, it's kind of cool how like, yeah, you, uh, takes you with him like when he explores. Yeah. Uh, so anything else you want to add spoiler free before we, Go for them. Uh, and I mean, not really. I mean, again, I just, uh, yeah, I think it's really great. Um, you know, very suspenseful, uh, yeah, great acting. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, really an enjoyable watch. Like, uh, if you've never seen it before, I definitely recommend it. Yeah, cool. All right, so uh, we're about to get to spoilers then. Before we do so, I'll thank our Patreon producers uh, at the time of recording, which is the start of September. So thank you to Alison M. Fordyce, Tyler Hess, Cindy Palisades, David Short, Bordenow, Al Trousman, Christopher Moy, and Brett Williams. Uh, thank you to all. They're all $20 or above patrons on the patreon.com slash TV. But you can, of course, support us for as little as $1 per month. And for that $1, you'll get an exclusive extra episode of Screams After Midnight every single month. There's a back catalogue now of about 20 or so films. Uh, you get access to all of them uh, for just that $1. Uh, you can find a whole bunch of weird things on there. The very first one we ever did was The Invisible <laughs> Maniac, which may still be the best, quite frankly. Uh, extremely entertaining. 
Yeah, I know. Yeah. So yeah, go and check out all that. Uh, you, you get bonuses for other shows, of course. At the five dollar tier, you get your you get voting rates on the main vote every month for streams after midnight. Although we do have a new vote in the ten dollar tier, uh, mm. which is called the Echoes by Morning vote, which is uh, our ten dollar patrons get to help sort of pick some of the new VOD movies that we do. Because uh, basically, we want to try and do more classic movies, and we keep not having time because there's too many mm. new films coming out. So uh, <laughs> we're helping patrons. <laughs> patrons are helping us pick which ones we focus on. Uh, so. Yeah, go and have a look at all that stuff. Uh, and obviously, $5 also gets you early access to episodes as well. So uh, go and have a look and see if you're interested in all that. But anyway, yeah, so full spoilers. Full spoilers for Misery from this point on. Uh, so I do like how Cam and Collected the movie starts. It just starts with him, yeah. his typewriter, uh, the bottle of wine waiting, or champagne mm-hmm. even, as he's, uh, you know, finishing this book that he's written, this personal book that he's written for him. Uh, mm-hmm. He's doing something else. And... You know, it's just, it's just a, it's a quiet introduction. Uh, you know what what the ending of a book means to him, and even him like making a snowball and throwing it at a tree outside and saying he still got it. Uh, yeah. I, I think obviously there's subtext there about how he wanted to convince himself that he could still write something that he's not just churning out the next chapter and you know this mainstream thing that he's been doing for the last you know ten, fifteen, twenty years, whatever it's been. Yeah. Uh, so. I know that's like a weird thing to like be, you know, him throwing a snowball and hitting the tree and saying I've still got it it's got meaning but, but it does it actually it's, it's way more it's not about the snowball <laughs> yeah no totally it's yeah it's like a nice uh, this whole thing is like a nice little character moment yeah uh, but of course he, he flips the car in the blizzard and Annie Wells takes him in and I think what surprised me watching it again is just how quickly she actually comes across as like is dangerous because uh you know she's like oh hey i'm your number one fan which by the way just saying that is yeah. kind of cringe wally to be honest uh, i can't imagine saying oh, yeah. to anyone i'm your number one fan what shut up <laughs> I, i've met like plenty of like comic book writers and stuff that i really admire uh but like you know i'll always say like oh like you know I, i'm a huge fan like i really love your stuff but like yeah to the idea of being like oh no like i like it, it does feel like you're already uh like a, putting a sense of like uh, entitlement and mm-hmm. attachment to something that's not yours that yeah it is like a little cringy because <laughs> she says that you know it's not an accident she found them she was kind of following because she knows where he writes his books so she she would sit outside in her car and look up at the light in the window and imagine what was being written and i'm like okay alarm <laughs> bells are already yeah. going off she's already st- <laughs> and obviously he's in this position where he's vulnerable and she's claiming that the the, the roads are closed and the phones aren't working because of the storm and it's like, oh, well, I'm stuck here now. But, I mean, otherwise, she seems nice enough for a little while, right? You know, the, obviously, the, 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 the little hints and stuff start to come in as as, as we go. Uh, yeah. You know, just little reactions she has to things. Uh, she asks if she can read his new book, which, you know, just the manuscript is just sitting in his, his little satchel, which, you know, we see, like, there's a quick flashback after he has, you know, after, after the car flips, where we see him talking to his agent about uh, writing this new book and... Uh, how he had to kill off Misery in the new Misery book, which, uh, as we discover later, is just about to come out in a couple of days. Um, but she asked to read this book, and you know, I think the first like, big warning sign is when she's like talking to him about having read the first, you know, forty pages or whatever. She's like feeding them soup, and she's like, "Oh, I've been reading the, the new book, and can we talk about the the profanity in it?" and uh you know and so cl- clearly like right away this sets up the idea that he's written something that's not really for fans of misery this is something yeah. that 
uh he's doing this very different he's it's essentially he's doing like a, a mature r-rated like gritty thing uh seemingly uh yeah. versus his i don't know mainstream appeal even even though uh, everything we see about misery basically looks like some sort of period piece romance series I, yeah like uh what i always got from it is that it did seem like those kind of like almost like kind of trashy like paperback romance novels mm. which uh what's kind of funny is in the the actual uh book um you actually do read like sections of like um different stories like i, I think you do get to read a little bit of the book he's working on which i want to say it's called like fast cars or something like that um and uh yeah i do think it is like uh there's some element of about cars to it i i believe uh <laughs> unless i'm just completely mistaken wait so uh, in, in in the book it's not a misery character it's not like a period piece oh no no i would well, no i mean uh in the the new one that he's writing the manuscript not, oh not the, okay sorry not the misery books okay sorry yeah. but then you also do read some of the misery books as well which yeah, yeah. those are like a period piece i was uh, confused for a second i was like how did fast cars factor into this period no. piece <laughs> romance uh yeah fair enough fair enough uh yeah I, like this is where the first hints because she gets kind of like mad at the profanity and he's kind of like sitting there like just like geez you know women's a bit crazy maybe i should watch what i'm yeah. saying kind of thing um and it, and i i feel like a lot of yeah, like these kind of people, like she's very, uh, uh, like like there's definitely something off about her, and like you know she's very like hypocritical because I mean obviously like, yeah she's like you know so against like swearing and profanity, but then we'll see like later on in the movie that like, you know when she gets like frustrated enough that she'll like let loose like you know whatever, uh, yeah like swear words she wants. That said, she's got like a sort of fake one that she says a couple of times. Uh, was I think it... she says like cockadoody. Yeah, like, cockadoody. Yeah. Uh, when she gets really upset at one point. Mm. Well, because I think one of my favorite little moments of performance actually is when it's either when she's just bought the new misery book or where she's just about to go get it because it's coming out. She's and she says like I can't wait to see like you know what the next chapter is or whatever. Uh, he there's a look in his face where i think he actually you can tell any because we know that he kills off misery in the new book but there's a mm. moment on his face where you can kind of see that he's he suddenly realized that wait a minute she's about to read the new book where i kill off her favorite character Ooh, yeah uh, yeah and he looks he has this look of concern in his face and it's actually and it's, it obviously it pays off because uh when she mentions that she's almost you know finished that you know that's when we get the big scene and this is maybe like a third maybe maybe nearly halfway i'm not sure but uh, where she you know, comes in in the the middle of the the night or whatever, and she's like, "I can't believe you did that. Why, you know, you you killed her. You killed her." And you know, it gets very. And she she even admits at that point that you know, oh no, the the phones have been working. The road's not closed. I lied about all of it. No one's looking for you. And, uh, and I think she specifically says like calls her my misery too. Like you killed my misery. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is where I was uh, joking earlier about how if you imagine this is Last Jedi, uh, they're talking about, sure. and this is Ryan Johnson. Like I could just like someone's like, "Yo, what did you do, Luke Skywalker?" Meh, 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 meh. Yeah. Meh, 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 meh. <laughs> uh, to the point where, because I mean, if you remember, one of the things is people were actually you know campaigning for them to remake that Star Wars movie. Jesus, and yeah. this movie literally yeah. has her force them to write a new book that retcons the. The, well, I, I shouldn't say retcons because she's actually very against retcons as we as we come to learn. Um, actually, yeah, I really like that scene uh, where it's like <laughs> again, it's an, another such like bullshit like fan thing where it's like, 
I want you to rewrite this and then he does it but then it's like not good enough to her standards like she's like yeah it feels kind of like a cheat like you know it, it, it's yeah. like the, you know they can't like all right hey I'm, well, I'm giving you what you want and then like yeah but it's not good enough <laughs> i mean i do actually kind of share her distaste of like oh no yeah i agree the, the yeah. retconny thing where it's like oh this yeah. was what really is like no that's because of the thing we fans don't need to force this uh, tv shows and movies do this all the time where they decide they want to change something so they'll sort of try and say oh this happened just before this other thing it's like no it didn't you're yeah you're, you're, you're messing with it but that's where she gets really upset and uh you know talks about how the, the retcons and he's sitting there at the because I, I do like his reactions every time like when she brings home the little table and she's like i brought you a typewriter and the end key doesn't work which is what i you know, so i got a good deal uh, and see if you're paying attention later on when you're looking at him typing stuff the n is missing from all the words that should have n in yeah. it you know it says you know, the the you know the uh, the you know the, the eight for night and things like that like you know the, you can see it missing and, and um one of the things that uh, that's cool in the book is like when you are reading like you know those bits of the book yeah like mm. they, they do keep that and then i think eventually yeah in, in the movie too she starts working with him where she like actually like you know uh puts the n in like herself uh, yeah, like, with, yeah. like a pen and then like yeah you see that in the the book too which is cool <laughs> so no that stuff is uh like i mean that's kind of the main plot of the movies that is the progression of her uh wanting them to write this this new book uh, but the other thing, of course, uh, before she does this, is that she makes him burn the the book that he'd just written. Uh, mm. Like this, this is awful. This is evil. It can't exist in the world. You have to like expunge it. This will be good for you. And she makes him burn this book. And it's this idea that, like, not only are the fan base, you know, and, and the metaphor here, like w- forcing him to, k- to keep with the, this thing that he, he he no longer feels like he he, he gets anything out of, and he doesn't feel passion for. They're actively like saying, "No, you can't do anything else either. You have to do only what we want you to do. It has to be yeah. this and this alone." And oh. <laughs> <laughs> so he has to burn it, and he tries to convince her that it's not the only copy, so it doesn't mean anything. But we know it is. She knows it is because she's a you know stalker who's done her research, and yeah. he he has to burn and it. Like, and, you know, yeah, and I think like one thing that's like interesting about her character too is like when she's all like you know like happy and giddy like a fan like mm. it does seem like you think like oh you know she's just like a rube that you can probably easily trick and and stuff but then there are these scenes where it's like oh no she's like you know uh she's like way like smarter than she's like letting on when she's like you know just very like cold and calculating and being like no we both know this is the only copy like you don't have to like i mean you know. <laughs> more specific than that she seems smart in the sense that she's always like ready to like catch him in a lie and i feel like yeah this is what you see on twitter you see people like anytime someone like tries to explain something uh and often this will be incorrectly done but you'll have someone who'll say no but what about this and they'll think they've got them and clearly i mean most often than not it's it's just like uh it's people who lack the the nuance to see like not every you know like just because someone says they'll do a thing in this example doesn't mean that that's always the right thing to do so they try to like catch someone out by saying oh well you said this but this but yeah but different context different setup whatever but i feel like you see this type of thing online where they're they're ready to catch you out and you're they're ready to say hey but you said this or blah 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 or or this or that and they'll have something and i felt like I, i got that a lot from this character uh, it's it's kind of weirdly ahead of its time, even though yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is, though, the the ironic thing is that 
if this was set any later, then a lot of the plot wouldn't work because, you know, this movie relies upon the fact that he doesn't have any kind of, like, cell phone. And admittedly, sure, like, in a modern version, you just have her, you know, say, oh, that gets smashed in the crash. There's no cell phone. Yeah. But then there'd be, like, you know, so Ben, he'd say, okay, can I, can I use your phone? And she'd be like, oh, well, uh, unfortunately, like, what would her excuse be for not having a cell phone? That would be kind of a weird thing in a modern, you know, setting, for example. Yeah. And I'm not, this is not me pointing out. I'm just saying that so much of this plot uh is is you know even the idea that like how little contact this this writer seems to have with his agent and his family uh when he's off writing a book that wouldn't be the case now he would probably call them on his cell phone he would probably do these things uh the idea of the the internet for research or even the idea that there's only one copy i get why it is in the context of the movie but these days every writer would be storing things in the cloud you know every everyone would you know they'd have backups because the thought of losing what you've worked on uh would be you know horrendous um yeah and okay sure there's probably a couple of old school writers who still type in a typewriter i'm sure there is but uh, very rarely now i'd say uh so I don't know, it's just it's interesting to think about how uh this is one of these movie plots which would be affected heavily if you set it in a present day setting you'd have to write around so much to get yeah. it to work uh so that's interesting oh yeah totally uh yeah, it's uh, you, you know, it's um, kind of funny. I, I mean, it's uh, a little out of context, but uh, did you ever end up watching the second season of uh, Castle Rock? I never did. I I, I did chuckle though because when the movie started and the Castle Rock Entertainment thing came up, oh yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, that's right, yeah, <laughs> Castle Rock. That's the whole thing. It's like one of the things that's just like I I really didn't like about it is they have um. Uh, I, I forget the actress uh, that that's playing Annie Wilkes uh, in it. Um, it's a, a very good actress. Like she's from like Party Down uh, and, and stuff. Uh, uh, the name escapes me, but she she does like a really good uh, Annie Wilkes. But she does so much in like the second season of Castle Rock that it just like feels really weird because I think it's like technically supposed to take place before Misery. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. It, it, it it's just one of those annoying things where it's like oh wow like this character had a pretty crazy life before like this movie started oh yeah lizzie kaplan actually lizzie that, kaplan, that's it yeah that's the if i if, I, if i'm going to critique the movie like i said the end's a bit mm-hmm. lackluster what one of the things i don't like about the movie mm-hmm. uh and the story is I, i'm not really a big fan of like her having this like dark past where she was like mm-hmm. you know this this uh maternity ward nurse who and these kids were, were dying. Like, I don't need her to have, like, some dark, like, past that sort of says, oh, she's always been a crazy person, because I, I just don't think it needs it. Like, I feel like, you know, she's just, like, you know, she, we don't really need to know that she's been crazy before, <laughs> that she's, you know, she's she's killed people before or anything like that. I, I feel like this story works independently of whatever her past is. Like, get, getting a sense of her personality is fine. Like, seeing, you know, the sort of things she keeps around, a little shrine for the books and that she watches like crap TV at night, you know, on yeah. her own. Like that stuff's fine, but like I don't necessarily See, need her to have this dark past. I I kind of like when it was more like um, you were getting like little bits and pieces from some of the stuff she said. Like at one point, I think she says something like, "Oh yeah, sometimes my mind gets a little cloudy. That's why I couldn't remember much on the stand, uh, like at trial or whatever." Like I like little stuff like that more than mm-hmm. like 
just going through a book and the, seeing like yeah. these clippings I, the scrapbook how him looking through that <laughs> scrapbook is like maybe my least favorite scene of the whole movie because i'm yeah. like we don't need this like uh, like we get her from I, context yeah. i just yeah uh, yeah like I, I don't think it necessarily i wouldn't say it bothers me but yeah i would agree that it's like definitely unnecessary yeah uh so no i, I just uh, just on the scene where he burns the his own book uh when she mm-hmm. makes him do that the manuscript uh, i love that him looking as the embers of just the little bits of paper that are like fly floating around the room like there's just there's a yeah. wonderful visual of that and a mm-hmm. movie that can't have a lot of over-the-top visuals because it's all set in a bedroom basically mm-hmm. uh that that's moment really stands out is visually having something in there um totally but you, you do see that because the, the camera work is very you know it's doing kind of what you expect it to but there are moments like when she does go in the rant about retconning in the serials that she used to go watch and the, the camera kind of like sort of like very aggressively starts to track into her and it's very like low angled and she's like you know that's not what happened in the cockadooey movie last week or whatever <laughs> she says at the end of the scene uh when it cuts back to to james khan you, you actually you feel the more natural framing on him because it's, it's so like animated on her the, the way it's low angled and looking up at her the way it's sort of went and it's very in her face and it's very kind of uncomfortable so when it cuts back to him and it's just sort of a normal close-up of his face just sort of i mean he looks scared of her he looks unnerved yeah <laughs> but the actual shot is much more normal and like level-headed uh, for like you know for just a sort of on the nose term <coughs> the camera work does a really good job of making her feel more you know more unhinged than he is even though yeah. obviously he is but or obviously she is rather uh, between the two but it just it does a really good job of giving them different feelings just even in how they're presented on top of the performance uh mm-hmm. so the direction the direction is very good uh i guess is what i'm saying yeah uh, no, I, totally I, I can't fault it um so she makes him write the new book uh throws out the first like attempt that he makes it a chapter because of the retcon mm-hmm. and he keeps working away um you know we mentioned the survival stuff earlier throughout all this you know he's been trying he makes a go for better paper uh so that he can like use the little uh, bobby pin that he's found to uh get out of his his room which has been locked and he he, he try he thinks he's found a phone but it's just a fake <laughs> it's just she's got, she's got a decoy phone uh sitting in her, her front room uh presumably her real phone's upstairs i guess if she has one i i thought it was a real phone but she just like took like everything out like that was inside of it like all the yeah it was you know, whatever that would yeah. make it work <laughs> Yeah, I never really thought about it, but I guess, like, did she intentionally do that just in case he got out of his room? Is, is that the that, implication? That, that was my guess, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he, you know, he's trying to get into the kitchen, and he... I actually, one, probably one of my favourite scenes of tension is when she's on her way back, and he can hear the car coming, and he's... Because <coughs> he's had to, like, climb out of his chair at this point, because the chair wouldn't fit into the kitchen, because he's trying to get out the back door. Uh, him getting back into the chair, getting back to the room, locking the door again... Mm-hmm. And just because because she knows when she comes in how sweaty he is like I thought that scene was really yeah. well done really tense, um his plan from here on because he does get out again when he sees the scrapbook and all that, but she's actually caught that he's been out because he's you know the, the the little penguin that he knocked over like he, he sat it back up the wrong way and she she uh you know the scene you were talking about earlier the big scene that everyone remembers from this one is the is the the, the hobbling the, the hobbling, hobbling yeah scene <laughs> yeah. uh where basically because at this point you know it's been a few weeks at least it's not as snowy you know it's been raining basically he's actually starting to get more fit he's starting to be stronger he's been exercising with a typewriter we see him like lifting it up and down to like keep his arms exercised because he's not got a lot of options obviously um 
he's getting healthier and she knows that so this is basically an excuse to keep him trapped for longer uh so she puts a block of wood between his feet and she hits his feet with a sledgehammer so that he has been you know he's back in the wheelchair for a while now (laughs) like that's him again and you know what's funny about the scene is like i do feel like it sticks out in your mind as being like so gruesome but you really don't see much like you know, so you see the f- the first hit you see, but the second yeah. one you don't see at all. Uh, but I I think just the, you know, uh, like it so gets into your head, like you know, placing the the block between the feet, taking out the sledgehammer. That I feel like it's one of those scenes where it's not showing you much, but you know what's gonna happen, and like your brain fills so much in that it's like even though it's like a quick like short thing, you don't see that much. I feel like it so memorable and stands out and um and honestly a, a good change from the book because in the book she just uh I, I, I believe she just like cuts his feet off with an axe basically which that's like, a, is that's a bit extreme <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The, no, no hopes of uh, recovering from that <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh so no that's that's interesting i yeah, I mean, this, I think what I like about this scene as well is that he kind of begs for her not to, because he's not sure what she's yeah. going to do. He's like, whatever you're thinking of doing, please don't do it. And I, I think those genuine moments from him where he's actually just mm-hmm. completely scared, obviously he's scared a lot in the movie, and it's not like he's hiding that. It's not, it's not some bullshit machismo thing where he's like trying to like, not be... But he's so cocky... Not cocky. He's so... He's, he's like a very smart character, so like there's a lot of times where... Which I, I think is one of the reasons why the performance is so great. Like, you get this sense that he is scared, but he's not showing it to her. So, like, there is a lot of pretending that he's doing where it's like, okay, yeah. yeah. I think what I was trying to say, though, he, he uses a lot of sarcasm. He uses a lot of, yeah, like, yeah. he's very witty. And you get that he's scared, and you get that he's hiding it. But it's not like he's hiding it in, like, a, oh, I'm too ashamed to show that I'm scared. It's not like a bullshit right, right, right. machismo thing. It's more like he's trying to keep his guard up with her to, yeah. to sort of, like... I don't know, just try and navigate because it, 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 clearly she can like flip on a, a you know she, she can switch to being dangerous very quickly so he's yeah. trying to like you know play along and he's trying to do these things um but this moment where he sort of like pleads for her not to do whatever he's doing it, it, it feels like it's just, he's just genuinely scared and he's begging and yeah. it feels very different from how strong-willed he is for the rest of the movie uh yeah as i would say um so but he's got this plan. He's he's been collecting. He stops taking the pills. What once he realizes she's kind of off hinge, he stops taking the pills and he's hiding them. And he essentially tries to make a little concoction of all the all the pills. He opens them all up and pours all the uh, you know the, the raw ingredients, I guess, or the, the actual crushed pills yeah. <laughs> uh, from the capsules uh, into a little like paper cup that he's made. And he comes up with the whole thing where he's, he asks her to have dinner with him uh, the day he he's going to finish the book and. The whole plan is to pour this, this, you know, this, this overdose of of whatever these pills are, because he doesn't even know. He's just mm-hmm. like he has no idea what she's been giving him, and he yeah. so he pours it into her wine, uh, and he's he's, he's playing along, b- pretending to be happy to have her go along with all this, and I think I do kind of love that. It's not that she figures them out; she doesn't yeah. figure <laughs> out that he's trying something here. She just knocks over the wine glass by accident and has to pour herself a new and the crushing disappointment on his face (laughs) when when she's just accidentally avoided his trap for him to make his great escape is just heartbreaking it's heartbreaking yeah and it's like you said before like he 
you know, he, he can't let on that he's like, you know, like disappointed. Like, so it, it is like this great mix of like, yeah, you can like see in his eyes that he is just devastated that this was like his big, big hope of like how he's going to escape. Uh, and then, yeah, it's just like his dreams are just crushed, but he can't really like let on too much. So he's just like kind of smiling and it's like, oh, and, and again, like you, you're so invested like with with him and been following this plan like closely that it, yeah it does feel devastating <laughs> when it happens yeah and i think if you if you come with your what you said at the start about this maybe originally being more about his addiction the idea that he, he puts in all this effort to be sober for a long time and then just like that he can be off the That's wagon true, yeah. I, I, you yeah. know I, I wasn't thinking about it as i was watching it just because you said that though at the start uh yeah. This idea that all this effort that he's been putting in for, you know, weeks or whatever it's been that he's been collecting all these pills, uh, mm. just like that, it's gone. It's just done. Yeah. Um, and obviously the subplot, which we kind of I briefly mentioned earlier, but the, the sheriff who, you yeah. know, obviously the agent calls the sheriff. Eventually they find the car. <laughs> and I think it's very smart that it makes us like the sheriff because him and his wife have a really good relationship where they're kind of, you know, they're, they're sort of like have like a happy bickering kind of thing going with like She's kind of like yeah. sniping at him and he's talking about oh that's what gives our you know marriage such such energy in life is uh just how snipey you are with me uh, but like he's, a, he's a smart uh, guy you know yeah the one scene i like is when they're driving and like she puts uh her hand on his uh knee and he puts it back and he's like hey when you're in this car you're not my wife you're my like deputy or whatever yeah. <laughs> uh, but, so- uh yeah like they're very cute and it's like uh and and again I, I like that he is like a very competent sheriff but it is also like you know, this is a very small town. Like, you get the feeling that, like, not a lot goes on here, so they're probably, like, not used to, like, you know, like, big, important investigations and stuff. So I like that, yeah, he's, like, you know, it's it's not like he's portrayed as, like, being dumb or anything, but yeah, it's, his, like... His wife's first line of dialogue, I think, is that when she sees, oh, there's a phone call, uh, must be a busy morning. <laughs> like, you know, that's yeah. the, the attitude <laughs> here because of how quiet the town is. Uh, yeah. No, because he he's the one. Because basically, the 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 you know the the state troopers or whoever they are, like they basically say, "Oh, we, he must be dead," because you know nothing could have survived out here. But he's looking at the, the car door and sees that it was pried open, so someone else yeah. was there. He, he's suspicious, and he eventually you know he sees Annie Wilkes like you know yelling in the street, and he, he starts to like suspect that maybe there's something there, especially when the, the shop owner says, "No, oh, she always comes in and buys all the all of, all of his new books," and yeah. he goes out there, so. All, all of this is designed and obviously i remembered what happened to him from the first time i watched it I, just because it's, it's pretty memorable but you know he does go yeah. out to the house uh in fact one of my favorite little moments of this whole thing is when uh paul sees the car coming he has like a brief moment at home but immediately she, you know annie walks in the room with a syringe to like you know knock him out and it's like no yeah. she, she's immediately going to like make sure he can't yell for help and she dumps yeah. him in the basement and we have this scene of the sheriff like walking around, being friendly, you know, being being pleasant with her, walking around the house, trying to see if he can find anything. And it's just that obviously once he leaves, Paul's able to make enough noise in the basement because he's just starting to yeah. wake up and he, he knocks over the barbecue or whatever it is. And he comes back in and he, he finds him. And just as he sees him and says, hey, you're Paul, the writer the shotgun blast comes through the the chest and he's dead and it's kind of heartbreaking and it feels like once again paul's hope of of being saved uh of of figuring this out is once again dashed and it feels really helpless and then the whole point of the movie is just to make him feel helpless and more helpless and more helpless and your hope is just taken away over and over again 
um, and he has to fight out of himself. And again, I think that's where the, you're talking about this being about Stephen King's addiction comes back into this idea that he has to do it himself. He can't like rely on someone yeah. else. It's you know, it's this struggle. It feels helpless, but ultimately he has to fight through it himself by the end. Um, obviously, the, the the there's a tease earlier. You know, uh, gradually throughout the movie, in the last sort of third, where she might be you know homicidal slash suicidal, where she's maybe willing to kill both herself and him once he's finished the book kind of thing yeah. he knows he's on this ticking time bomb and again going to the idea of the addiction the idea that you know like his alcoholism or his his other addictions may kill him ultimately you know you, you can see where the metaphor of that comes into it uh yeah. and it's, it's definitely there um <coughs> where i find the ending a little because it makes sense and again with the metaphor of the addiction it does make some amount of sense i do find the ending a little underwhelming though just because essentially you know he's about to finish the book and you know he asks for his 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 wine and his match and whatever and his plan is to sort of burn the book in front of her uh, as a last kind of ditch effort to sort of make her go crazy and he's obviously feeling a bit stronger here uh, you know outside of his feet obviously because <laughs> of what happened <laughs> yeah and it's this big moment where he burns it in front of her and says no i'm taking ownership of this and i'm burning it mm-hmm. and i i do think it's a little unsatisfying that essentially the actual confrontation at the end is just kind of like a struggling fighting match between them where they're just kind of like you know strangling each other and he's fighting back it doesn't really feel like he does anything that like i don't know like he, he couldn't have attempted you know like an hour ago in the movie you know what once he had some strength back in his arms like it doesn't feel like anything i i guess the idea is, is that he's like now he's he's so impassionate and he he's given up all hope of anything else that he has to like just put all of his energy into just fighting but uh, it's not is i don't know there's so I, much like teasing throughout the movie of how he's eventually going to outsmart her or how eventually someone else is going to find him that there's something a little unsatisfying to me of it just being just this struggle <laughs> of where how he eventually bashes sure. her to death. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I do think part of it, and uh, I mean, maybe you get, uh, maybe this is one thing that the book does maybe a little better than the movie is mm. this idea of like, you know, he gets to a point where he does actually want to write this book and like, it's like, she's taken so much from him. Like she's, you know, burned his book that he wants this revenge. Like he wants to see the look in her eyes when he takes away, like the only thing that she loved, uh, you know, like burning this book in front of her is like, you know, I, I think it gets to a point where it's not so much like about escape and who knows if he'll even be able to make it, but at least he knows that he can like, take this thing that uh she wants so badly away from him like the way that she's taken you know everything away from him so i think that's part of it um and then like i I get what you mean though that it's like i I think that is like a good idea but then yeah it does kind of just end up devolving into like a little bit of a yeah struggle match uh, between them yeah it's a struggle match where you know he eventually just hits her enough times in the head to kill her and don't be wrong the idea of like like her as, as serving as inspiration is still in the movie because at the end of the, the movie, the agent's kind of like, hey, like, what about, you know, like, he, he says to her that, you know, in a, in a way, that horrible experience actually, like, gave him, like, a lot of things to, like, write about, a lot of, you know, <laughs> not, not the literal events, because she even says, hey, do you want to write a non-fiction book about what happened? And he's like, ah, I mean, that's a bit exploitive. But the idea that, as a writer, like, going through this experience gave him a lot of fear, a lot of, like, you know, inspiration that where he could put into his characters and, you know, gave, yeah. gave him something to, that he could write about passionately. So in a weird way, and I think going with the addiction idea that this is about Stephen King's addiction is that yeah, all of the all that turmoil he went through, going through all that, 
did give him a lot of things to write about and like characters to write about and how they're going through things and so on and so on like those bad experiences yeah. give people things to to talk about it give, gives people things to you know yeah. believe in yeah. or believe that are important to write about so and that's I still believe, in there yeah and i believe in the book as well he does actually end up saving uh i i think he burns like a like a fake uh copy or like stack of papers and then actually mm. does keep the the misery book and publishes it uh, at the end of uh of the book but uh, I, I could be wrong about that someone can correct me but I, I think that's what happens yeah uh because again he's going along with it he's like saying hey we'll need two glasses this time for the yeah for the for the wine and and so on um yeah no i, I mean it, i i think thematically especially when you're looking at it from the addiction point of view that you've brought into this uh mm -hmm. uh I, I, I think it is there and yeah uh the idea of the the fandom stuff i, I think the fandom stuff that we are sort of prescribing to it because we we're coming at this from like a you know a 2020 world where this is a become such a thing is yeah. Maybe something that the ending doesn't lend itself to as much. Maybe when, once we get to the point where he's kind of taking control of his creation back and burned the book, that's kind of where that that theme kind of ends. Because I, I don't think the whole idea of him of, of of like a creator being inspired by the the hate they get <laughs> is something yeah, that really weird, yeah. doesn't really work. That that part of it doesn't fit the metaphor. But that's yeah. okay because it's not because like you say, the movie was actually about his own addiction problems, and it was about that. It's just that so much of this has become relevant in different ways because oh, of totally, you yeah. know. Uh, not not that toxic fandom didn't always exist because it did but it's definitely mm. it's got like a voice now it's got like a a, a conduit well, yeah i mean I, I think the the big thing is back in the day like most of the creators probably didn't like you know like people didn't have immediate access to the creators they like like you know you could always write letters to people if you know they had like addresses for like you know the movie studio or a book company or whatever they worked for but I mean, I'm sure half the time they probably didn't even see the letters or their agents probably didn't show it to them, you know? So it's like, uh, yeah, it's probably like less uh, invasive and, uh, you know, not as much of a thing that's like in your face when you're a creator back then. Yeah. Uh, but, so, I mean, I mean, yeah, so my, if I have two, my two sort of bigger things that hold the movie back a little bit for me uh, would be Annie's dark past. I, I didn't need the scrapbook and sort of the discovery of that stuff. And I didn't, you know, I I think the ending could have been, if not more clever, then certainly I think the struggle of actually having to fight or being tough might have been sold better if he if he was actually still a bit weaker. I don't know, like the idea that he had to push himself to do it, because it, it, I think maybe the, my ultimate problem with it is it, it just feels like a sort of by the numbers movie struggling between two people scene, um, where it, it doesn't feel like he's uh, I I guess it doesn't feel like he's he's like oh, he's at this breaking point now where he's been driven to just fight back like this. It doesn't really build up to it in that way, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, even though, in theory, it should feel that way. Uh, I think that, that one sort of little snippet of it's missing there at the ending. But uh, also, I also, I do think it's a little bit weird that it just sort of, like, after she's, like, lying there dead, like, I, I really think the catharsis of seeing him get to a telephone and call for help and having, like, you know, just seeing a, a glimpse of someone arriving to help him would have felt really nice. It just kind of, like, fades to black and says, 18 months later and he's walking in the city. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, that's a bit odd. I, I would have liked <laughs> to have seen just because because so much of the movie is about him trying to get to a phone or trying to get to a door. Like I would have liked to have seen just him achieve that <laughs> after our death. <laughs> just to get, just give me the happiness, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. No, yeah, I get what you're saying. I don't think it's uh it doesn't bother me uh, as much, but um yeah, it, like uh, there's probably like a little bit more they could have done like with that last fight scene or you know, like there there's some stuff like I do like, you know, the burning pages and like you know, I I do like it gets like a little yeah, like um I don't know, like gruesome with like yeah, you know, like shoving them in her, her mouth and stuff, but like yeah, they uh I I maybe could have gone like a little bit more with it. Mm. But yeah, I, I wouldn't say though. I mean, so much of like the the rest of the movie though is so good and intense that it's like, um, yeah, it's like minor quibbles. It doesn't really take too much away from it for me. It, no, it doesn't ruin the movie by any means. It's it's, not, it's just it's just kind of a, a ho hum ending after a really solid movie. So it's uh, as what it is. And then the final scene, of course, he he sees Kathy Bates uh, walking towards him in the restaurant, and he's not scared by it. He sort of recognizes it, and that's that's movie goes along with the addiction. Uh, metaphor again is the idea yeah. that it's always kind of there it's always kind of prevalent and possibly coming back and he has to accept that and just kind of yeah. uh you know uh live with it and move, move on from it and learn from it um and it ends with the the waitress who who he did see as kathy bates first saying she's the number one fan and he just kind of smiles and yeah. Um, again, the idea that it's always going to be there, and I guess that works in a pro- present day context if we're talking about the the, the fandom metaphor where uh, oh, for sure. you know. Yes, those toxic fans are always going to be there. You're always going to have those naysayers. You're always going to have those people who feel entitled. You're always going to have those elements. Uh, and you kind of have to learn to live with it and probably mute your Twitter or delete your Twitter or whatever <laughs> the other examples might be. But uh, yeah. they do exist and you have to kind of, you know, just accept it and move on with your life, I guess, <laughs> yeah. and struggle in spite of it. So, yeah, uh, that is uh, that is kind of misery. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it is interesting that it, it can be looked at from those two different, very different aspects, and both of them yeah. work quite well for like probably like ninety percent of the story. Either one, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I, th- I think there's like a yeah, definitely a lot of layers to it, and like you know, even if you're not like looking at the metaphor or whatever, I think it is just a you know an entertaining, like suspenseful movie with a. You know, some like great performances and everything so um yeah that stuff is just like some nice like you know little topping when you add those uh layers to it hmm little topping the subtext is just there the topping <laughs> to, to Tim. Topping. <laughs> yes uh no I mean, for me it adds a, a lot to the movie that stuff but you're right it's just kind of yeah. a nice suspenseful kind of you know thriller uh type of movie so uh yeah. all right well with that said tim what are you rating misery uh, I mean, I, I don't know how many times I, I've seen at this point. It's not like, you know, one I watch like all the time, but, uh, you know, I, I've definitely seen it my, my fair amount and it's, uh, always entertaining. Um, again, you know, great premise. And, uh, yeah, like we said, <clears throat> you know, there's definitely like a lot of like eerie, you know, modern day fandom stuff, uh, that you can really like, uh, apply here, which, you know, makes it even more interesting. Um, and yeah no i just think this is uh definitely one of the you know uh better uh king adaptations which uh you know i, I love king but you know it doesn't always get the best uh uh you know best movies but uh no i, I think it's great uh it, it is not perfect so i can't uh you know give it a, a 10 out of 10 but i am gonna go pretty high and give it a nine actually uh I, I think it's really really well done uh i'm not going that high i'm gonna give it a solid eight I think it's a very good movie and uh, anchored by a lot of 
you know, a lot of the qualities we talked about, the acting, the directing, the the subtext, which, you know, comes from, you know, I never even thought of the addiction angle. That was something you brought to this. I, uh, yeah. Just, just from I, your king fandom. <laughs> yeah, like, I, like, honestly, I would never have really thought of that on my own. I just know it from, um, and I think, like, other king podcasts I've heard people talk about it or you know, can't talk about it in interviews or whatever. So, I mean, yeah, but, I think... But it is there, because once you said that, and I yeah. started thinking about a lot of the events in the movie and, and what they mean uh, for the character, it, it is there. Like, t- taking, uh, you know, Annie Wilkes and the character that he created as his addiction and yeah. sort of, you know, looking at the, the movie through that lens, it all works. But so does looking at it through the lens of toxic fandom. And maybe that's a bit more yeah. on the surface. It probably feels more on the surface now than it did then, just because of the world we live <laughs> oh, totally. in, and because we are yeah. like so like, used to that side of things now, and we, we see examples of it all the time. Um, yeah. But both of them work there, and um, they they both work at the same time. They don't necessarily work in the same way, uh, because if you look at misery as his drug. I mean, that doesn't necessarily quite work. Ex- you know, the, the two metaphors both work independently. They don't necessarily work when you mix them together because, like, if misery is his drug, then it can't also be the, the toxic fandom at the same time. Uh, right. Because yeah. that, you know, that wouldn't be something that you're addicted to, would it? <laughs> it you know, so yeah. they both work independently, but they both work very well, and they're both there. Uh, so, um, yeah, 8 out of 10 for me. Uh, so okay. there you go. That is uh, misery. Um if you have gotten to this part of the review on YouTube, please put in the comments that you're our number one fan. Uh, <laughs> you can do that in the comments. Uh, I'm going to make Tim do the uh, pose for the thumbnail. So here we go. Uh, three, two, one, pose. That's how Tim looks at me before we start recording every day. I just want everyone to know that. Uh, so that is, <laughs> that is misery. Uh, by all means, though, in the comments, let us know what you think of the movie. Uh, and if you read the book, the book too, why not? Uh, you can please sure. please do a like. Like is super important. It's a nice free way to support us and keep all the content coming. Uh, but you can also support us financially over at patreon.com slash TV, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, get us on Twitter at ScreamsMidnight for updates and other such shenanigans and all that does. Um, but that is us. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's basically the, the, the review. Uh, so thank you once <laughs> again for watching or listening. Hopefully... This is not being uh, an example of misery for everyone listening, I would hope. <laughs> sure. <laughs> nothing, nothing like the the crushing silence after after a statement <laughs> to to fill us with the lack of or the opposite of misery. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Uh, it's a it's a delirious day and a delirious year. Where we we I mean, 2020, we all feel like with James Khan in the in the bed, just you know. Pretty much. Hoping for eventual escape, but seemingly it's never coming. So thank you once again for watching or listening. We always appreciate it. Keep watching scary movies, guys, and we will see you next time.